0: The, the difficult conversations that teachers and like people that are you know, in, in the, the business of teaching music need to have is like, how, how are we best serving our students, right? How are we making our students successful? And anytime a conversation goes back to, well, this is the way we've always done it, or this is the way I've, I've you know, I learned it, so everybody should do it this way, like I'm out. Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor.
1: Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Guru's Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Matt White. Matt walks the road less traveled. His creative approach to harmony and his mastery of the entire range of the trumpet makes Matt a consummate improviser. His arranging and compositional skills have earned him numerous accolades, including being named a Guggenheim Fellow in Music Composition and his willingness to question the status quo of trumpet pedagogy makes him an educational maverick in other words he's my kind of hang so pour yourself a big glass pull up a chair and let the hang begin All right. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast. I am joined by Dr. Not just Mr. Dr. Matt
0: White. Matt, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, Matt. So it's really cool to, to, uh, to finally meet you. We have, uh, lots of mutual friends, you know, as is want, you know, the trumpet world is certainly a small community. So, uh, we, we all, uh, tend to travel in the same circle. So, uh, uh, yeah, I've I've heard your stuff, you know, uh you know I've definitely been following you on, on on social media and just you're just doing some super super hip stuff. And I uh, definitely want to dive into some of that. But uh um I found out something about you that I didn't realize that uh, in now that it's like, oh duh. Um that you uh you uh, helped my my buddy Augie Haas out with uh, his uh his book. You were the editor of that book. So that that uh Uh, How did you manage to do that and keep a straight face? (laughs) That's what I want to know.
0: I mean, yeah. So Augie and I were, uh, graduate assistants together at the university of Miami and we sat next to each other in the concert jazz band for, I think like three years. So just became like really, really close friends. And then, so, um, you know, my wife, uh, Georgia, she actually edited his like master's thesis and his doctoral paper. So like he could kind of get it across the finish line. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, he's like a really great friend and he had this idea. He's like, Hey man, I got this book I want to do, you know, would you be willing to help me? And so I did some of the editing on it and then gave him some feedback and we talked about the background tracks. And then, um, even when, He, have you, have you heard of his, his like bottle opener mouthpiece? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So when he, when he was designing that, he actually came to visit me for a couple of days and we wrote a jingle for it. I don't know if you've seen the video, but we literally did that all in one day. And we've been friends for such a long time that even like when he comes to town to visit, my wife was just like, you know what? I'm taking the kids and I'm going to my parents' house. You guys just hang out for a couple days. Yeah. Uh, so usually like mayhem ensues. Yeah. But a- Augie's a great friend and yeah, he's a, a wonderful musician and trumpet player and he's yeah. One of my favorite people.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Augie's a great dude. Uh, you know, I, I met him a few years ago uh, at ITG uh, mm-hmm. it, when it was in Columbus, uh, Ohio. I was uh I was there kind of hanging out. I was, uh, I, I years had done some rep work with, uh, Walburton, which is how I knew about the, uh, the, <laughs> the email piece. Uh, but, um, yeah, Augie, Augie and I just kind of hung out and, you know, got to chatting and stuff and, and just kind of, you know, stayed in touch and, and, oh, actually over COVID we, we, uh, we've talked a lot more and, um, yeah, I actually, for my wife's birthday, my wife loves his, uh, the, the stuff that he's been doing recently, the, the CDs that he's done, you know, uh,
0: oh, where he's singing, right? Yeah. Where he's
1: singing. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and we actually, that was, that was my surprise birthday present, uh, for her was I, uh. I got Augie to uh, serenade us for, uh, for about two or three tracks and uh, you oh, know, that's nice. um, zoomed in and, and yeah, it was, it was so much fun. He's such a, such a cool guy.
0: Yeah. And he's also like a, he's a great example to people as somebody who's just like always hustling and always working on something. Cause like every time I talk to him, he's like, Oh, well I'm working on this or I got this cooking show that I'm working on. So he's always up to something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, and that, that book, I mean, I, I, that is part of my daily regimen uh, you know, with, I'm not always, and I have to, have to admit it, all you trumpet players out there, trust me. Uh, I am one of those guys that uh, stays fairly busy. Uh, you know, trumpet is not my full-time gig, but uh, uh, you know, I'm still playing regularly, but there are days that I just don't have a chance to practice at home. Uh, and living in a, in a town home. I don't, you know, I can't come, come in at at 10 o'clock at night and, 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 you know, start, start practicing so uh i do augie stuff though every day religiously uh and a lot of times it's just uh you know buzzing on the mouthpiece on on my drives uh you know uh but uh but that that's a really cool track and you know certainly certainly love the fact that uh you guys are are so close so that's that's definitely so shout out to augie uh now now we're not going to talk about you anymore augie so uh you know this is not your episode (laughs) so uh but yeah you know so going on to your stuff man definitely i've been digging the stuff that you've been doing and mostly because i'm i'm sort of a of a musical techno geek as well uh nowhere near you know the level that you're working at but uh you know the the tracks that you've been producing uh you know using ableton uh and and the other production stuff i just i'm just really digging it man it's just super super hip stuff so uh when did you first get started in in that world, you know, of, of, uh, you know, going from like the traditional acoustic jazz setting into, uh, doing some of this, this really cool kind of electronic stuff that you've been working on.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And it's, it's actually back to when I was in school too, is that, um, I was like playing a lot of recording sessions and was realizing that I hated the way my trumpet sounded on all these recording sessions. And so like my solution was I need to learn something about this. So I started taking like tech classes as part of grad school and then like bought pro tools and got like an interface and literally it was just like asking people, Hey man, you got a session you're working on. Like, let me check it out. and I was just learning by trial and error. If I got like to a studio or something where I was a trumpet player, I would ask to hang out and be in the control room. And so that was kind of my introduction to tech. And then it became like, you know, once I figured out the programming aspect of it, and this was something that could you know augment the music I was writing. Um, cause yeah, I compose a lot of music. Um, you know, so electronic stuff. I'm doing this project right now with like my small group where I'm actually doing, uh, I'll call them derangements, not arrangements, of early Dolly Parton music.
1: And Ooh, so I've okay. been
0: doing, and so it's trumpet, organ, drums, guitar, and a vocalist. And with the vocal, we're doing like a lot of pop production stuff. So like, you know, taking influence from like Billie Eilish, and I'm doing a lot of synth, synth programming, and that kind of stuff. So. You know, for me it's just like it's another way to be creative and definitely with the pandemic the idea that you know using these tools when i can't maybe collaborate with people in person you know to to make interesting musical stuff and just kind of keep me creative and, and and doing different things and just composing constantly even if i don't have access to musicians to play the music
1: yeah well you know it, it's it seems like there are uh you know like when all things, there are these camps of people. Uh, so you have you have the jazz purist, you know, and, and you know, you, you can't use electronics. That that's 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 not that's that's not jazz. Uh, and then you have people that are definitely going to embrace the technology a lot more. Uh, and and some people actually even eschew you know the 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 traditional stuff. It's like oh, we just got to be all modern. But it's finding that delicate balance of how you can uh, maximize technology uh, and, and use it as basically it's like a different, a new sound palette, uh, a a new way of being able to, to take your ideas and put them out there. Um, so, uh, when, when you're doing this in terms of, of, uh, your, your creative, uh, your, how you you get your creative juices flowing. Um, do you tend to gravitate towards, uh, you know, trumpet as the the primary voice that, that you want to use or do you use that electronic palette to to kind of give you the 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 foundation to build and and put the trumpet on top or you know is there is there kind of a standard that you go to?
0: Yeah I don't know. I think it's like uh it's it's something different every day. I mean part of my daily routine besides being a, a trumpet player is just trying to write something. You know, and, and thinking of like, okay, well, I am a trumpet player and in what way can I integrate trumpet into that? And sometimes it's like, oh, cool. Like I'll, I'll make these little loops and I can solo over them. Or maybe this melody would sound really great over it. But sometimes I write stuff and it's like, well, maybe the trumpet isn't the best thing for this particular piece. Um, I did this like record a couple of years ago, just called The Trumpet. And it literally just started is that my son, who was um, like less than a year old, And i wanted to be writing music and i wanted to do a recording project but i didn't have like the time or the resources to get a band together and go to the studio and so i had this idea that i was going to make a five track record where the only sounds were things that came from the trumpet um so there's like there's there's arrangements where like literally there's 40 trumpet tracks playing and in some cases like i would run them through like a signal generator and use like valve clicks to create like snare sounds and like you know i got like super deep in it but I think all of it is just thinking, um, you know, more broadly musically, you know, what is, what, what can the trumpet do and what, what can I write in such a way that might push the limits of, of what I'm working on or, um, you know, something that might, might make me feel like kind of uncomfortable musically, but I, you know, take it as a challenge through creating music.
1: Yeah. Well, I, and that seems to be a theme, um, like of the stuff that I've been following of yours, where it's. You, know, you, you, you want to push your boundaries it, it, that that's what comes across to me. is like, okay, what can I do? That's just a little bit further than, than what I've done in the past. And that, that's really kind of cool, particularly in terms of, uh, you know, sonically, obviously, uh, there was something you did recently where, uh, you had some just crazy voices, uh, voicings going on. Uh, it's kind of a, a pop tune and, uh, it just, you know, some really unique voicings going on and, uh, like, yeah, okay, wow, this is, this is, this is really hip. I can, I can see where, where this is going. Uh, do you ever have those, those moments where you like do something, and you go, okay, that was just a little too far. I just, I, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean all the time. And, and to me, that's what, um, that's what makes music fun is, is the idea of like, I'm going to paint myself in a corner and see how I can get out. Right. Like either as an improviser or, you know, there's been so many times where like, I've literally come up with a voicing or stacked horns on something even if it's for a client and I'm like, I wonder if I can sneak this in. Right. It's like, okay, what if I take those two inner voices and I make them a half step apart here? Like, are they going to notice, you know, will they just feel, so it's always kind of that thing where I always feel like I'm kind of turning the screw a little bit and I'm seeing how much I can get away with. But for me that that's fun, you know, and, and it keeps me like really engaged with it is trying to find, find new ways that I can do things and things that are, um, non-traditional. And, and, you know, like one of the projects I'm working on now is I got this grant, um, feel like the arts ministry of the Czech Republic and they got this grant that they wanted to take these hip hop artists and have a live big band with them okay and so um i usually don't write big band because like kind of what you're talking about is is like i feel like there's so many of my friends that are so fantastic at you know writing you know four part four part bassy voicings or like writing in the style of that and all that but if it's weird i'm into it Right. And so I was like, okay. And they're like, okay, well, we want a big band, but we don't want you to write it. Like it's a big band. I'm like, okay, I'm in. Right. And so what they do, and it's, it's been really fascinating because the, the people I'm working with, they're not musicians. So like, I can't just send them a score. So what I actually do is they send me the tracks. I track everything. And so I had to learn marching baritone so I could get some of like the low voicings on like the, the brass and stuff. And so I'll send them the whole track and then I send them the, the stems for it and then they cut it up. They send it back to me. I adjust it. Cause I'll, you know, I might say something like, okay, well, the trombone one is not going to be able to play like 64 measures without a break. That's crazy. And then I send them the charts then, and then they record it. Um, so it, it's just always finding these ways to do like strange things or things that are slightly different that, um, you, you know, kind of keep me engaged creatively.
1: Yeah, that, that sounds like a really, really cool project.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's been really fun. Although it's funny because like the the tracks are killing, man, and it's and it's like stuff that feels really great. But I have no idea what the people are saying because obviously they're like rapping in checks. So I'm like, oh, I hope none of this is like bad stuff or things I don't want to necessarily be. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's it's been an awesome project, and we're down. I think we've done like four charts, and I think it was contracted to do six, and and eventually it'll be debuted at a live uh, festival in Prague, which is pretty exciting. Cool,
1: cool. Are you going to be able to go to that that event?
0: I hope so. Yeah, I'd love to be able to fly out there and check it out, and, and you know, maybe conduct or something. It'd be fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I I really
1: enjoy um, kind of that that melding of of styles, uh, and and I think you know that I mean that's that's what jazz is anyway, you mm-hmm. know, um, and. Um, I yeah, I I love kind of the fusion of of uh hip hop and 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 jazz and like you know, the like the stuff that um that Roy Hargrove was doing like with with Rh Factor and uh Russell Gunn and you mm-hmm. know, some cats like that, that just you know, when the first time I, I heard that, that I was like, yeah, this is this is definitely badass and and I can yeah. get behind this. And um you know, so I could just imagine, you know, hearing hearing this hip hop, uh, <laughs> with a full, a full big band that that just has got to be bizarre. And you know, my my wife is uh European. She's she's from Romania, mm. and so a lot of times we, you know, she's she's got her Romanian music on, and it it really surprises me when I start to hear. Uh, yeah, I'm used to to hearing hip hop here in the U.S. You know. Yeah big fan of, you know, you know, Wu-Tang Clan, N.W.A., you know, I'm a little older. So, you know, some of the old school, old school rap and, you know, you know, even up into the modern days. But it's it's so funny how that as a creative expression, as an art form, and, you know, certainly there'll be people that will argue with me that the rap is not music, that hip hop is not music, but I'm like, you know, dude, you know, the. It, it is definitely, it is creative as, as it can be, uh, but, to, but to have that and listen to it, and then all of a sudden I'm hearing Romanian rap and I'm hearing, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Turkish and yeah, you know, it's like all these different uh, ethnicities, you know, and, and hearing the use of, of hip hop and hip hop rhythms and hip hop uh, stylings and things like that. It's really super cool and how they fuse, fuse their own ethnic music yeah. with it it's just so, so creative and so cool. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to, to checking that that project out. You have to keep me posted on it.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think that like, you know, if, if people think about like as jazz being, you know, one of our greatest exports uh, as, as Americans, right? I mean, you could say that about hip hop too, in terms of like the influence that it's had on culture around the world. And, you know, I mean, I'll have my students um, when I'm teaching, you know, I'll have them transcribe like Kendrick Lamar phrasing because, that is rhythmically incredibly sophisticated, right and yeah. there's there's something you can learn from that and even as somebody who's really into music production and and um, music technology, I mean, even if you're listening to a song that might be two chords, there's so much you can take from that like by by the production of it or how the how the track is put together, you know that can make your music better and so I think for me is just this idea like you can you can learn from anything that's happening around you as long as you're open to it,
1: yeah, yeah, and especially people that that are. Performing uh, and creating at a high level, you know and the people that are pushing the boundaries, obviously, and uh, you know the like you know, you're talking about Kendrick Lamar. Um, yeah, certainly you, you listen to you listen to that phrasing. Um, I think it was a uh, uh, Chris Jaudis. Uh, yeah, a few episodes ago, I was uh, I interviewed Chris and and Chris and I were talking about uh, inspirations uh, for improvisation and you know, certainly it's great to, to listen to, you know, you know, let's go all the way back to, to, to pops, you know, certainly, you know, you, you want to go back and you want to, you want to study the, the tradition. You want to study the people who, who set the, the framework for what we do, but at some point you have to deviate off of that path. If you want to keep jazz to true to its essence, which is, um, to embrace the originality, to, to embrace the, ex, the expressiveness, to, to embrace the uh, ability to take and uh, to synthesize and to create this, this unique uh, improvisational music. And you have to be able to uh, go beyond what, what has come before. And I think sometimes that, that we lose track of because we kind of get we get to this point where it's like, OK, I'm comfortable. Then this is it. And I don't want to go any further. Uh, so like you're saying, like, you know, some of the the rhythmic phrasing that some of these hip hop artists come up with, it's like, where where did that come from? You know, yeah. And, and, and it's it's really interesting if you start if you try to play align with that kind of phrasing it 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 really changes your uh your approach to the instrument so uh yeah i'm I'm really down with that man so like who are some of the the outside the box inspirations that you have musically
0: oh sure i mean definitely kendrick bjork is somebody that like i'm really into Mm -hmm. um you know um classical composers you know i really love bartok i mean i love bach you know which i mean is not like that's not like saying something that's like super hip or modern or new or anything but yeah i mean um sylvan esso which is like an electronic music duo i really love their stuff uh i've been checking out this group tank and the bangas from new orleans i don't know if you're hip to them but like my kids love them and like there's just so much groove and infectious groove happening um one of the things like i'm super involved in living here in south carolina is kind of um the preservation of Gullah culture, and so there's a group called Ranky Tanky, which is a bunch of my friends in Charleston that they've done like contemporization of, of like old Gullah music, which is pretty incredible. So yeah, I mean, I think just listening everywhere, and and thinking like, yeah, what what can I hear from this, or or, or what's interesting, and and you know, kind of kind of saying going on what you said earlier is that the reason I got into jazz is because I wanted to express myself, right? And I think that's why most of us get into it because we're thinking okay, improvisations like, wow, I get to say something that's uniquely me in this moment, right? And so we always have to make sure that that's kind of the step of what we're teaching is like, yes, respect the tradition, learn from the masters, right? But also like, what are these little bits and pieces I take from things that interest, interest me and how do I integrate them to make me myself? Yeah. Um, and, and I think as long as we're always kind of keeping that in mind as like the, the goal point, um, I think that's how we kind of stay engaged with everything and improve.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was a a big thing like uh, in in my previous career as a a martial arts instructor that, uh, you know, because that's something that that has that very, very deep tradition. Um, And uh, I I really got frustrated with people because like, you know, people would say, "Okay, well, this is traditional and this is, you know, whatever. Um, But it's like, you know, we get so caught up with, we're, we're married to the dogma as opposed to the, the, the true essence of what something represents. So, uh, you know, martial arts is all about improvisation and creativity, much like jazz, you know, it's adaptability, uh, things had to change on a a generational basis based upon, you know, uh, you know, differences in technique, different, you know, different warfare strategies, you know, everything has to be able to evolve. Uh, but you know, at some point think, you know, people just want to freeze and say, okay, well, this is it. This is, you Mm -hmm. know, it it can't change from that. And to me, what, whatever art form it is, when you reach that point where you say it can't change, then it's dying. Yep. You know, if it's not evolving, it's not growing. And if it's a dying art form, well, you know, I don't want to waste my time with that. (laughs) You know, I, I want to be involved in something that's going to continue to grow and to, to uh, to change and and you know become something new, so when a, as a teacher, um, you know, how do you help to instill that in your students? You know what what are the what are the hot buttons that that you you want to push to to uh, to shift people? Because you know I, I think our educational system, whether it be uh, just general education or or you know the arts. Uh, so much of it is stuck into this dogmatic approach i mean how do you help to people help people to break that mold and to to start thinking a little more creatively
0: yeah i mean i think a lot of what you're saying like resonates with me because for me the most important thing is problem solving right and if if anything like that's what my st- i want my students to take away from working with me is not like oh i learned to do this specific thing or this specific thing is like I had a problem musically or even in life, right? I had an issue and this is how I came up with a strategy to get better. You know, so if you're, if you sound bad on the bridge to a tune, like how do you practice it to get better? If your time's bad, how do you get better? Right. Um, if your ears are bad, how do you improve that? And so always thinking about that. And that's, I think where the creative creativity and practice comes back to. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've been in academia for a while now and I think one of the things that's, um, you know the, these ideas of like uh, adhering to dogma they don't serve the students and they don't really serve us as teachers um and so for me th- having the ability to look at a problem and not just say that this is the one way to fix it because this is the way i was taught or this is what my teacher told me it says have see a student struggling with something and go like well what if i explained it this way what if we tried this right and, and, and for me, um, you know, bringing it back to trumpet is, you know, my, my early teachers were mostly like Adams from like the, the Bill Adams school. Right. Right. But even then like seeking out other things just to be like, could this help my students? Right. Like, let me learn a little bit about Caruso because, and Lori Frank, because maybe that'll help my students. I don't buzz on the mouthpiece, but like, maybe I should read the James Thompson book so that it, maybe there's something there that'll help my students. And so I think any kind of dogma you get into is, is, is pretty dangerous and pretty limiting. Um, And and I think the other big thing for me with with education is helping us to get out of this idea that, you know, education, obviously, in academia moves really slow, it's slow to make any changes. And as somebody who's worked in it, it's really hard to get people on board with new ideas. Um, But, you know, getting away from this idea that that students can only be, you know, one of three things they can either perform, teach or compose. And we know as people that have worked in the industry now, like that's not the case, right? Mm-hmm. Most people have four or five things that they're doing and they're piecing together a living. But if we don't tell students that, they go into the world and they think like, well, I have to get a job with an orchestra or I'm dead in the water. Um, and so for me, is like, first of all, helping students understand that that's not the case. And then going back to some of the stuff we're talking about earlier is being really open. You know, and to saying like, you know what? Yeah, I love playing the trumpet, and I love playing maybe traditional jazz, but maybe I like hip hop, and maybe I can, you know, be a producer. Maybe I can make tracks for people. Maybe I can be an arranger. Maybe I can have a small studio of like ten to fifteen students, and piecing all those things together. That's what gives you like a fulfilling career in music. It's not just doing one thing. Right.
1: Yeah. You know, and that's that's a really important concept and it's been kind of a recurring theme uh, both in, in the interviews that I've been doing recently and just in, in general in, in my life and, and the things that are going around around me. Um It's the, you know, what is it that you're really trying to accomplish and what is this really important to you? That question uh, you know, is it being a trumpet player? Okay. Well, if, if that's the most important thing to you, then don't limit yourself to saying that you can only play, mm-hmm. you know, Classical gigs, you can only play big band gigs or whatever. Playing the trumpet, if you if you love playing the trumpet and you want that to be your career, then play everything you can, anytime, anywhere. Just do that and be happy with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, don't limit your options. If it's to be a musician, well, then that's a different thing because being a musician can be like you said, you know, you can be playing your horn or it can be producing tracks. You know, it can be, you know, engineering can be a lot of different things that, that are part of, of that process. If it's about creativity, well, then creativity can express itself in so many different ways. You can write a book, you can, you know, so it, it's like really getting down to answering that fundamental question. What is the most important thing to you? That foundation thing that, that, that really gives you juice. Uh, and then look for as many ways of expressing that concept as humanly possible
0: yeah absolutely and it's um you know i tell my students this all the time but if your goal when you go to college uh, for to study music let's say if your goal is to do one single thing you're really missing the point right your job when you go to school should be to become a great musician and have all these different experiences you know if if your job if your outlook is to be you know the greatest lead trumpet player On the planet will like save your money and go take lessons with Roger Ingram or Wayne. Right. Yeah. Like those that that would be a better use of that time. So all those things that students complain about, and I complained about them too. You know, going to theory class, learning class piano, going to ear training, music history, those are all ways to build your musicianship, right? And they and by building that musicianship, you're kind of you're looking at it and you're going, like, wow, I can be comfortable in a bunch of these situations and I can figure out a way to be successful.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's it's really interesting. Um, I, I had a great talk with uh, James Morrison, uh, previous episode, and he had a really interesting take on theory and uh, in the way he teaches it. He said, you know, most people want to teach theory first mm-hmm. and then apply it. He says, you know, he wants to teach application first and then help you to. Understand the theory as to how and why it works to, to give you a better a better sense of things, and I think you know in in terms of the way our education system, particularly music, is set up, that sometimes we put the uh, the application side of things secondary. And, you know, it's like okay, well, the first thing is we we need to make music. Let's make some music. You know, let's play the horn. Let's sing. Let's do this. Okay, now let's get under the hood and come to a deeper understanding of it but it the the theory should be what gives us context for what we do
0: right and and that's that's what theory is right the whole reason is so that when we play music or we hear music we can have a deeper understanding of it and we get so disconnected from that and you know the the difficult conversations that teachers and like people that are you know in in the the business of teaching music need to have is like how, how are we best serving our students, right? How are we making our students successful? And anytime a conversation goes back to, well, this is the way we've always done it, or this is the way I've, I've you know, I learned it, so everybody should do it this way. Like I'm out, yeah. like that, that's it. Cause you know, we're, we're getting away from the point. And you know, if, all right. So if writing four part Lutheran chorales is the best way to learn voice leading, okay. But like, let's have that conversation because most of our students, when they come in, have no idea what a four-part Lutheran chorale is, right? So maybe there's a different way that we could teach them voice leading, um, you know, how, how harmony moves uh, horizontally. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really into having those conversations. And for me, a lot of times it's just like when people tell me like, this is what we're going to do. Uh, and this is why I have tenure, which is good because I can say this now. And I go, why? Why are we doing this? Why? And yeah. again, if, and if we, if we say we're doing this, cause we think this is the best thing to teach us to our students. Cool. That's a great conversation to have.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think you hit the, the, you hit it right on the head with that. Why? Because I think that's, that's always the ultimate question that we have to ask ourselves. You know, why am I doing this? And I, when you get to that kind of a. Uh, well, this is the way it's always been. Yeah. Like I, I'm with you on that. It's like, okay, well that's, that's the, the kiss of death as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned, because that means that, that you're not open to new possibilities. You know, you're, yeah. you're looking backwards and not looking forwards.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and part of that is, you know, we have to take the responsibilities of people teaching it is we have to keep educating ourselves. We yeah. have to be, you know, we have to, we have to be listening to what's going on. We need to be observing what's going on. And because if not, which is what happens in a lot of schools, we're giving our students a picture of what music was like 30 years ago mm-hmm. or you know even longer. And if we're not at least somewhat connected to what's going on now, we're not really helping them.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I've had this conversation with a number of uh, people who are involved in academia um, and, and in teaching in, in other aspects. Um, what is it, like if you had to put your finger on the the one thing that you would want to create a change in, like if, you know, you're given the power to to make this this massive shift in in the way that that music is taught. What would be that that one thing or that one critical skill that that you feel uh, would make the hugest difference in in the way music was taught?
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, it'd probably be a couple things, but I think the big thing for me is prioritizing rhythm. Um, you know, cause so much, so many of my students, they're taught, and this is like, this starts early in music, by the way, this isn't just like in college, but they're taught to prioritize pitch and pitch correctedness. Right. Mm-hmm. And, but we know that most of the music that makes us feel good makes us feel good because the way that the rhythm feels and the pulse. And so, so many students come into school and they either don't internalize a pulse or if they internalize a pulse they can't make the next step which is kind of the mechanical use of it on their instrument and so like things i've had ideas for is like what if there was what i call like a rhythm class and just like you go to like ear training your first semester you go to theory one you go to a class and there's like a master drummer that's just playing a groove and you learn to play with that groove you learn to subdivide it the different ways you learn to subdivide it in twos and fours and threes and feel those things And eventually you start taking your instrument and making those rhythmic things happen as well. So I I think for me, that would be the big thing is like prioritizing rhythm. And then also, I mean, this is, this is like a, a hot button topic that people talk about all the time, but like, you know, why is written theory three credits and ear training is one credit in most theory curriculums, right? Because we know the ear is the most important tool. That's what we use to listen to music. And so, why are we prioritizing looking at the music as being a more important skill than actually being able to hear the music? So, I think those would be like kind of my two big foundational things.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let, let, let's let's take this a step further. <laughs> I'm gonna we're gonna go uh, down rabbit yeah. hole. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: Uh, hopefully, this doesn't screw with your tender.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the president's already signed it, so I think I'm good. I think you're I'm good, solid. Yeah. Right, solid. No. Um.
1: I mean, obviously, there are there are these needs in terms of, of uh, the practical skills of of a musician, but I think there there are some other things that are missing. Particularly, you know, someone like you know, you've you've got experience not only as, as an educator but as a performer. Um, but there are, I think, there are some serious life skills that I that are missing in terms of the way that we structure. Our curriculum um so if you know you hear here again uh, matt white gets to create his own ideal uh music curriculum uh at, at his university um what are some of the other things that you would want to see as requirements as as uh, as requis- requisite studies that uh are kind of overlooked in the educational process that, uh, you know, we're kind of left to, to flounder and learn on our own, sometimes uh, the hard way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and, and this is like something I'm actually already doing at my new gig. I'm getting ready to take over as the chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. And so we're already looking at like ways that we can improve the curriculum. Um, and so for a big one for me is entrepreneurship, right? Every, every young musician should look at themselves as a startup business right? Because what is your product? You're, you're promoting yourself. And so, you know, some of the things that I think that are really important with that is like knowing how to do your taxes, right? How many of us have had to do our own taxes and been like, what? Like, what's a mileage log? Wait, I can write that stuff off, right? So I think that finances, um, we talk a lot about like what I call like career maintenance, which is not something I have to do as much now because, um, you know, mostly I'm a teacher. But when I was a freelance musician living in Nashville, I had like a two hour block every Thursday morning where all I did was what I called like career maintenance, which was like emails, phone calls, following up with people, reaching out to people. Because, uh, you know, I think what you're saying too, is like relationships is like the backbone of what we do. Right. So like no, being available, being cool, being agreeable, having all those skills that you're just assumed to have, those are all things, but we don't teach that in school. Um, so I, I, think like kind of those business elements are things that I think that every student needs to be taught. And I think the other one is, is inter, interfacing with technology. Um, you know, I'm getting ready to make a class where like literally the whole class is learning how to track remotely and then send people files for projects because, you know, it was something that was happening before. And I was certainly doing it a lot. Um, you know, cause I, I live in kind of the middle of nowhere in South Carolina. Like I don't, there's no big studios nearby me that can go track. So I'm doing it all in my little office here. Uh, but having the ability to, you know, arrange and stack a horn section from home, and then be able to send the files correctly to clients—I mean, th- this is just stuff that like everybody has to be able to do to be able to edit your own tracks. And so, those are all the things I think that I would like to see, kind of, um, you know, th- th- these being like the assumed skill sets that every musician needs to have. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, you know, it, I know you know you obviously could could you know become a music technology major you know uh you know so yeah there's that thing but I think that that for any performing musician there should be um a level of experience that they that you have with the technology side of things you know uh I think back to to my schooling and this was you know back in the the very early 80s um you know there were no rural classes for uh you know, how to, how to deal with, with sound issues, you know, you know, and, and when you get, when you get on a gig, uh, you know, unless you're at the top of the the heap, which no one starts at the top of the heap, you know, we're all, you know, climbing our way up, yeah. you know, you're, you're doing club dates, you're doing, you know, small things. And, uh, you know, you don't know how to deal with sound reinforcement issues. You don't know how to deal, deal with mic placement you don't know how to do all these things that you know maybe a a tech major would know but uh you know as a player i think it behooves us to to understand at least on a on a cursory level how to how to set up a mic properly how to you know how to to set up a basic monitor mix you know how to deal with
0: eqing and things like that and how to communicate with the people to get what you want i think is a big part of it too Right. Because there's always that contentious relationship between like the performers and the sound person. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, it sounds awful and I'm miserable, but it's like, also it would help us if we could say like, Hey, you know, could you roll off a little of the highs starting at 2k in my monitor? Right. And to make me happy and to make me feel like this is actually what my trumpet sounds like. And that's good information for a sound person. Or, you know, I mean, how many times have you gone to like a college or high school jazz band concert? And like a soloist starts playing and they're nowhere near the microphone, right? And like the big band director has to like, take the microphone and like move it over to the soloist. But like, why don't we practice that, you know? And, and so even with my trumpet students, like I'll just put a dummy mic next to their stand in my office and I'll be like, practice how you would play on a microphone for this. Okay, and if you're moving around, I mean, if you're getting into it, that's cool, but understand that now you're making the sound person's job harder because they're having to like ride the gain to, to, cause you're not staying on the microphone. Um, so these are all things that we can integrate into our teaching. We just have to kind of think about them and, and and be open to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's super, super cool stuff. Um, with, uh, with your studio, um, you know, how many, stu- how many students do you have currently?
0: Uh, well right now my, the studio that I'm leaving, cause I'm getting ready to switch gigs, but right now in my current studio, um, at Coastal, I had, uh, nine students, nine trumpet students.
1: Okay all right and uh you know with those students um you know it was there like a uh a specific demographic that you were dealing with i mean was it uh you know uh people that were more interested in in uh performance more in education yeah i mean here we go back to those those standard categories that we yeah i
0: mean sometimes we just have to make categories whether we we like it or not yeah but So, uh, the, that program we had, um, what's called a commercial music and jazz major, which was like an undergraduate degree that I kind of built from the ground up. And that was about half of my trumpet students. Um, and then a couple of ed majors. And I think I only had like two, what you would consider like traditional, um, trumpet performance students. But, you know, one of the things that was really important to me was to try to kind of, and and I, and, and I'm always learning. And so there was plenty of failures along the way and there, there will continue to be, but, um, you know, having an idea of like a trumpet curriculum in the studio that actually is reflective of the, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. So, you know, I had a student, for example, do their jury um, this past semester where they played the first movement of the Hindemith concerto, but they also had to play the, um, the horn parts from like Superstition and um, sing a song. Okay. Right. Yeah. And everybody has to do some improvisation. And even if those aren't those specialties, because to me, like you saying earlier, like most of us end up doing club dates or wedding gigs, like these are things that you need to know. Yeah. And not only the things you need to know, but like you could learn something about like clean articulation by actually playing superstition clean, right? That's, that's something that you can learn. And so that's kind of the way I've, I've approached in terms of, of teaching the studio is kind of making sure everybody's got a very balanced approach. And then if they have things that they need to really specifically hone in on, we'll, we'll hone in on those just a little more.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, we, like we were saying earlier, you know, being able, if you want to be a trumpet player, if you, if you, if you want to play trumpet as many in many, uh, situations as possible, um, you know, there, there are certain things that, that, uh, are your standard repertoire, but it's probably not going to be, uh, you know, the, the Hummel or the Haydn or, you know, it, any of, any of those classical things, unless, unless, you know, you're doing, you know, the audition circuit uh, you know, you're going to be playing uh, if anything legit, the thing you're going to play the most might be uh, trumpet voluntary. Yeah. You know yeah. Uh, and you know, how about getting good on that? Uh, how about uh, you know, learning, learning those bodacious uh, licks or uh, Wind, and fire kind of licks like uh, you know, september you know the, the yeah it drives everybody nuts you know so okay you want to practice your articulation your double tonguing okay how about how about playing uh playing this lick all right how about right and,
0: and you could often you could argue that that's that's just as an effective as useful as like learning concert etude if you're learning how to like multiple tongue or cleanly articulate something right yeah um so yeah I, I i love kind of thinking about it coming from that perspective of like You know, what are the things you're going to have to do? Like, yeah, if you ever have to call, if you have to uh, play a wedding ceremony, like these are the tunes you're going to need to know. Can you play them? Um, You know, approaching, learning the piccolo trumpet from that perspective of like, okay, let's learn the wedding rep first. Yeah. This is the stuff you're probably going to have to play.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, going back to my martial arts days, a lot of times people would ask me like, okay, well, what's a practical application of this? I'm like, well, okay, I can, I can show you all these different concepts, but you know, ideally, especially because I, I taught a lot of Tai Chi, it's like, you know, okay, well, the, the, the most practical application of this is that it's going to keep you from uh, falling down a flight of steps. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going <gonna>, it's <laughs> to help you to understand how to deal with uh, an aggressive personality, uh, as opposed to, you know, this is how you break somebody's neck with, with something like this. Uh, because practical just means that it's, it's useful, Mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 it serves a purpose. And uh, I would rather look at at what am I going to use something for most consistently? You know, what's the thing I'm going to, I'm going to have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, not the thing that may happen one out of a a thousand times, you know, and sometimes I think that's what we tend to do uh, is we focus on the, the what ifs, as opposed to the, the, what is most probable, uh, and, and I think for, as a trumpet player, there there are, uh, you know, I, I would love to see a new standard repertoire be developed. And, you know, like you're saying things like, you know, superstition, you know, September um and the wedding, the wedding repertoire, uh, you know, the, 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 star spangled banner, you know, for, for goodness sake. I mean, how many times are you going to get a call for doing that taps? Oh you yeah. Know, just, just the stuff that, you know, Hey, if you were really good at doing these things, you could actually make a, a fairly solid living as a, as a working player.
0: Yeah. And I think also using repertoire as a way to address an issue in your playing so that you feel comfortable on other musical situations. Right. As opposed to saying like, we're going to learn the Hummel because there might be a time 15 years from now, you get to program it with a, with a band or something. Right. And instead of looking at it as like, okay, what is this thing teaching me that I'll be able to apply in other situations? Because ultimately what we're trying to do is we're trying to make ourselves super comfortable on anything we're asked to do. Right. Right. It's the same thing with ranges. It's like, well, why do we want to have a good upper register or great endurance? And so when we get called for a gig and we have to use those things, we're not freaking out. We feel like we can do it. Um, and so I I think all the, all the teaching should be oriented in that way is like what skill sets am I building up so that when I get called to do something and they throw a piece of music in front of me, I'm like, I got this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's developing that, that toolbox, um, you know, um, to be able to to freely communicate the ideas that you have, you know, uh, building that vocabulary and whether it's the technical vocabulary, you know, having your fingers work, uh, whether it's the the ideas uh, by, ex- by exposing yourself to different, uh, you know sounds, different rhythms, different concepts, uh, different harmonies, uh, the the range, you know, the ability to have that that fluency throughout the horn. So, you know, like you were saying, man, you definitely, so you feel like whenever, whenever and wherever you are, you're comfortable. And, you know, I think that's got to be the key.
0: And I think that, you know, improvisation is the same way. And, you know, one of the, the way I practice improvisation and I try to do with my students is like, let's do this with a lot of limitations, right? Because if we can do the limitations when we play, because ultimately when like I improvise and I'm playing with other human beings, I want to be free. So I just want, if something comes in my mind, I want to be able to try to execute it. Or if I hear like the drummer do something interesting, I want, to, I want to interact with that. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to students about improvisation, it'll be something like, can you play me a compelling chorus only using quarter notes? Or can you like play a really interesting solo only staying within this octave, right? And so like when we put those limitations on ourselves and we kind of think about it and we're developing those really specific skills, the idea should be that like, those are the tools that you're developing. And then when you go out and play, you're taking like the bumpers off, right? You're just saying like, okay, anything that happens, we're good to go now because we practiced all these little individual things. And it it always kind of astounds me when you can have like a really good instrumentalist or, or musician that knows how to get better at stuff. But then when you like tell them like, hey, we're going to work on improvisation, they just put on like a, you know, a play along track and play along, like, you know, just do multiple courses, just hoping something will stick. Like that's not a strategy to get better at anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's really interesting. One of, one of my, um, teachers did have that, that approach and it's like, okay, yeah, let's, let's just, we're only going to do quarter notes. We're only going to do, uh, you know, these things. And it kind of, to me, it was like, um, you know, I, I can try to remember exactly how the quote went, but it is Einstein, uh, basically to paraphrase it saying that, you know, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it,
0: mm, you know? Yeah. And,
1: and I, I think that sometimes, uh, especially for improvisation uh, it becomes, you know, how fast can you play? How many notes can you play? And, you know, it, it which is to me, the, uh, the musical equivalent of verbal diarrhea, mm-hmm. you know uh, I don't need you to, to try to explain something, to me and take up 30 minutes doing it, if you can tell me in, in three words how to do something and I can do it, then that means you really understand it exactly. and therefore I can understand it. So I think sometimes that, you know, with improvisation, um, people are relying on, uh, the, you know, like the, the shotgun method, you know, the scatter shot and hoping that if they throw throw out enough ideas that something will eventually.
0: That it'll stick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's uh, so a lot of times people talk about music as being a language, and and one of the ones I like to use when I'm talking about exactly what you're talking about is like, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. That's beautiful, right? Yeah, short, succinct, and punctuated. But a lot of times when we improvise, we go, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. I just woke up, I accidentally kicked the cat, I can't find my socks. So we took like this beautiful idea. And we added all this garbage to it when we could have just like said the idea, let it sit for a minute. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that like, I I think about like the people that are like the utmost of improvisers and usually the most um, profound things they play is after space. Yeah. You know, and it's like you hear Herbie play, right. And he'll like be, he'd be like going for something and like kind of gets into a corner and he stops and like the band fills in. Like the next thing he plays is the baddest thing you've ever heard. Yeah. Cause like he just composed himself and he was like, here we go. Um, and to me, that's like, that, that's like the, the pinnacle of what we should be trying to achieve is like using those pauses, using punctuation as a way to get our ideas across.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, finding inspirations for your playing from sources outside of playing, um, you know, reading. Um, a greatly written piece, you know, something, uh, you know, even we, you know, go back to the, you know, like obviously, you know, like the studying of Shakespeare and and things like that, and then Dickens, um, but, you know, even going back to like you know, you're talking about like Kendrick Lamar and the way that, uh, you know, a lot of uh, hip hop hip hop artists are able to create these really compelling phrases, um, and you know, looking at that and thinking about the, the rhythm of the language, the way that sentences are structured, the way that, uh, a, a narrative is created and, and thinking about, uh, the way that we, we phrase our music, um, basically telling a story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think space is probably the most underrated, uh, and we'll get to that later on. Uh, one of the most underrated aspects of, uh, improvisation, um, definitely as a mature improviser, will understand that, you know, and, uh, but, you know, man, you know, just, you have to give things space. You have to give them room to, to breathe and, and whether it's to create a reset for yourself or, you know, if you, if you go back to a great speech by someone, you know, just, the ability to stop and to give that, that pause and let things sink in before mm-hmm. you, you know, you say your next sentence. I think that's one of the things that, that we, we sometimes miss as musicians, the, 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 power of that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, um, I mean, I think there's a couple of things at play. I mean, editing, right? So we t- talk like you're an author and like, you know, we're talking about people that, that write the language, but editing is such an important part of this process. And that's kind of what we have to do as musicians too, is like sometimes knowing when to stop playing or what not to play is just as important as knowing what to play, you know, and, and to allow that space. And I think the other reason that's important is because, you know, going back to like why people play improvised music is a big thing for me is like, do not treat the rhythm section like a neighbor soul. Right. And a lot of people do that. And so, you know, what I want to do is like create a space that we're like, you know, maybe I have an idea and I leave some space and now maybe the piano player plays something interesting and like, oh, that's a better idea. Yes. Let's do something with that. But it wouldn't have happened if I didn't leave the space for somebody to, to interject something. And I think that, that the kind of communi- the communication and kind of that communal nature of what we do, I think that's what's beautiful. But you can't do that if you're monologuing the whole time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's that communication and I think, you know, you, you see that definitely with uh, I mean, you look at any of the, the, the classic, uh, the standards uh, for, for jazz, uh, some of the ensembles, I mean, look, look at like, you know, the, some of, some of Miles's bands, you know, and and the interplay between all of the members of the band, you know, and especially because, you know, Miles was definitely one of the masters of space. You know, and it wasn't like everybody is was fighting to fill space, but it's when he created space, everything just naturally flowed to fill and then to, you know, and then to dissipate again as he stepped into the, to the spotlight. So, uh, but you can't do that if you're not working as uh, the symbiotic unit. You yeah, know, You have to be listening. You have to be not just listening because uh, it's like, you know, people say that, that uh, most people don't listen, you know, that they don't truly listen when you're having a conversation, you know, you, your attention is actually spent formulating your response to what someone is, is saying. You mm-hmm. know, you're thinking about what you want to say instead of really listening and taking what's going on. And I think it, with, with kind of some of those great uh Ensembles—they um, weren't listening. They were actually functioning as a singular unit. You know, it was—it was like a hive mind almost, and uh, everybody was was just organically finding that space to to express and and to support each other. And when that happens, it's magic. But uh, like you said, if you're just thinking about the rhythm section as as your play along track, you know that never happens.
0: Man, I got a, I got a great story about that. So like one of, one of my mentors is this guy, Steve Bailey. He's a, he's a bass player and he's he's the chair of the bass department at Berkeley. And like through Steve, I ended up, you know, getting a great relationship with Victor Wooten and all these other people. But um, Steve is really tight with Ron Carter. And so he was telling me, he like texted me this one day and I was flipping out. So he went over to Ron's house and Ron like started playing ESP the miles record. And, and Ron started giving uh, Steve a play-by-play of what was happening, you know? And he would be like, oh, he's like, so, you know, Herbie, Herbie went down a half step here. So that's why I played a D flat there. And he started like giving him a the play-by-play of like exactly what they were doing in the moment. I was like, it's like making my brain explode, like wow. what, that, what yeah. that must have been like. Yeah.
1: Yeah, man. that. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, those those were, you know, definitely some of the, the seminal recordings, um, you know, just the, the stuff that went on there in terms of the creativity and, and uh, I, I can't, I can't even, I can't find words to express how impactful uh, the work that those guys did was, uh, it, it just, it was amazing.
0: Yeah. And, and you listen and you listen to it today. I mean, it still sounds incredibly fresh. It sounds like the hippest thing you've ever heard what they're doing on those records. And they're like, what, like 50 years old now or more. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. It's incredible. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. Actually, uh, speaking of of, uh, of Vic, I wanted to uh, to talk to you a little bit about that because you know I know that you've done some some stuff with him uh, recently. Um, yeah, he's one of my my all time favorite musicians. Uh, you know, just a phenomenal player, and I love his approach to things. Uh, his his book, The Music Lesson, actually mm-hmm. was a required reading for, uh, my coaching staff at my my martial arts school, because I felt that not only was it the, the, one of the best books I've ever read about music, it's just a great book about the process of learning and about life itself. And, uh, because, you know, Hey, it's all the same stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, I know that you, you know, you, you've done some stuff recently with him and with, um,
0: so the uh, interview series we did so we did yeah. one with Terry Lynn Carrington
1: yes that was the one Terry Lynn Carrington
0: that's Lucas one. Nelson who's Willie Nelson's son we did one mm. um, Howard Levy who's like I don't know if you know Howard's playing he's like a, a genius he's crazy um, but yeah yeah we're like and that's all been like my relationship with Steve is we just become really good friends and then I like be I ended up becoming the big band arranger for the bass extremes big band which will like eventually do a record which is um, Vic Steve both playing bass And then uh, Greg Bissonette playing drums with a big band. And they were again, they were like, you know, uh, they're like, hey, we really want to do this big band. Will you arrange it for us? And I was like, yeah, because that sounds weird. Like having two bass players. Let's let's do it. That sounds fun. Um, And it was crazy because none of their stuff is written down. So I had to transcribe it. And I, you know, I'm a pretty good transcriber. But like when you have two basses playing it's so low that like, sometimes you're like, ah, what's actually happening there. And like, I would text them and be like, Hey, are you guys playing a B flat or an A here? And they go, yes. (laughs) 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 Because like they were playing both notes. Um, But yeah. And so, but I I agree with Vic. I mean, he's like, he has a way of every time we get together and and play, which only occasionally happens, but he just has like a way of kind of like centering you of like what you're actually doing and like what music should be about and like what life should be about and like, what should I be prioritizing? And he's, he's such like an incredible human being. And, and I mean, that comes through in the way that he's so free with the music.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if you had to, uh, capsulate your philosophy on music and its place in, uh, in the world, uh, what would that be?
0: Um, I'd say that it has a very important place in the world. I think that, you know, um, there's a lot of things that divide us and can be de- divisive. But what I love about music is like, you can close your eyes and enjoy it and it can move you emotionally. And, in, and you don't know who's playing it, what they look like, right? Uh, how they identify, um, where they're from, what their political philosophy is, right? It's just, it's, it's one of those rare opportunities that we can have an experience that we can all kind of share with it. Um, and, and that's why I think the like promoting music is really important, right? And teaching it is really important and make sure that it kind of, you know, stays like a, a primary part of our culture
1: yeah yeah well man i could certainly like talk about some of this stuff for like hours and hours yeah 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 so uh yeah but i know that you know you're uh you're preparing for your move and uh, you know busy busy man but uh so before we we can wind things up for the day we do have two segments that we need to get through okay Uh, the first one is our